Welcome to Quick Brain, bite-sized brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. I'm your coach, Jim Quick. Free your mind. Let's imagine if we could access 100% of our brain's capacity. I wasn't high, wasn't wired, just clear. I knew what I needed to do and how to do it. I know Kung Fu. Show me. So we talked about why to eat the good foods, what the foods are, how to do it. What about when? Does that matter? So there's a couple different schools of thought on that one. There's the sort of eat every few hours, which has been sort of traditionally put forward. My, again, my colleague, Dr. John Berardi, was one of the ways that he recommends, especially for people that are looking to optimize body composition. But there's a school of thought out more recently with intermittent fasting that a lot of people are talking about. We've done some research on that. And that was discovered when people looked at people who are fasting for Ramadan. And so you only eat once the sun is down. So you're eating through 12 hours and then fasting through 12 hours. When scientists did blood work on the people who are fasting, they discovered reduced inflammation that persisted for weeks and months after Ramadan ended. So that's interesting because we want to lower inflammation in our bodies and fasting can help us do that. That's great. Then people looked at a different pattern, which is eating within an eight hour window and fasting for 16. So that 8-16 ratio. Most people will eat when they're awake and not eat when they're asleep. So normally in our culture, it's fast for eight hours when you're asleep and then eat for 16 hours. So sort of doing the opposite of that, the 16-8. That further reduces inflammation and there's a number of other things. Neurogenesis improves. Autophagy, which is the body's ability to clean itself out, seems to improve. Blood sugar regulation appears to improve. So I think that there's some very good scientific evidence for people adopting intermittent fasting from time to time. I would typically do that when I'm traveling, I'll just skip dinner. Or if I'm on the airplane, I just won't eat when I'm on the airplane, which is good because airplane food is pretty toxic. So Up there with um, hospital food. Yeah, it's pretty close. So that's definitely a strategy people can look into and explore a bit further. Okay. Now, how is that correlated also with sleep? Is there a certain time that you stop eating at night? Not so much time, but understanding the different types of foods and their effect on sleep. So carbohydrates will actually help you to sleep better, produces some neurotransmitters that make you relax. I don't particularly love recommending that because I think there's some issues with having carbohydrates and then going to sleep and body composition. So not typically something we would do, but if you're really struggling with sleep, that's an option for people to contemplate in the short term. Protein right before bed improves growth hormone release, which if you're into training, that helps with muscle recovery, which is great. But high fat and high spice foods typically will disrupt sleep. So you want to be very careful about what you're eating before bed because it can actually have an impact on the way that you sleep. Okay. So we got sleep, we have food. What's next? Exercise. And that's the one no one likes to talk about, but it's the probably- You had everyone up to this point right (laughs) now. It's like, I love this guy. (laughs) Now I have to move. You got sleep and you ate the right food. And now this food gives you energy. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you're sleeping well, your body's healing. You've got growth hormone flowing through your system. Your body's healing. You're recovering, regenerating, eating healthy. You've got lots of energy. Your health is improving. The next thing we need to do is optimize our body and mind. And I know your audience is really interested in learning and creativity and mental optimization. I think people- make the error of thinking that mind and body are separate, brain and body are separate. And if you look at an MRI scan of the brain, there's the higher level thinking centers, you've got your emotional center, the medulla, which is breathing and heart rate, the movement center at the back of the brain and the cerebellum. And they're all connected to the body through the nervous system. Like the immune system is connected to the brain. Your muscles are connected to the brain. Your circulatory system is connected to the brain. Like everything is connected to the brain. It's the one and the same thing. So if you move, your brain functions better. I've got this incredible video that I found from the journal Nature. It's an incredible journal. And they were able to image the brain of a zebrafish when it was still and it's dark. And then it starts to swim and electricity shoots through the entire brain. 
then it stops swimming and the brain shuts off again. And you start swimming and the brain lights up. And that relationship's true for every single species on the planet, including humans. And if you think about it, like how do we teach kids in school, sit down, don't move? We are literally shutting their brains off and then trying to teach them. And you and I are sitting in a hotel right now. We're looking out and there's a huge bank tower next to us. And literally like every single person at their desks is sitting there and not moving. I mean, they have this phrase that sitting is the new smoking. You're just sedentary for like eight hours. And we say that as your body moves, your brain grooves. Absolutely. Brain-derived neurotropic factors. Yeah. And we know that walking in nature and movement, when people oh, yeah. are listening to your podcast mm-hmm. yeah, or you're on the elliptical, helps yeah. you to be able to... Absolutely. I love all of that stuff. And... There's very good research that shows that the morning workout's great for stimulating the release of BDNF, which then stimulates the growth of new neurons inside the the brain in the morning specifically. So I love morning workout for people with cognitive jobs. I love the noon workout for people who struggle in the afternoon. If you have that afternoon slump, it's a great time to do a 20-minute walk. And it doesn't need to be hard. Like Walking activates the brain. 15 minutes of walking a day is enough to decrease your risk of breast cancer and colon cancer up to 40%. Like it doesn't need to be much and it doesn't need to be hard. Even two minutes can bring the brain to life. Walking improves creativity. Walking in nature improves problem solving. If you read Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, he never sat during meetings. There's a reason for that. His brain would shut off. He needed to move. And so walking meetings have become one of my favorite things. And when you go for a walk with someone, you're going to come up with way better ideas than if you sit around a conference table and try to get something done. I do my phone calls that way also. I have a blocked amount of time, then I'll just go for a walk and do all my calls in that chunk. So in tips, people use uh, standing desks or they use the treadmill. The brain primarily and the function is to be able to control our movement. Yeah, it lights up when you move, right? So I was actually had the opportunity to go to visit Google's offices and they've got a really interesting setup where they do have desks if you need to be working and coding. If you're in alpha and you need to reflect, you need a calm body. So you actually need to be chill. If you want to be operating in a reflective, in a contemplative state and activate alpha waves, you need to be still. For beta wave activity, when we're hustling, when we're performing, when we're thinking, when we're operating, that really does require an active body. So in that case, you'd have a standing desk or a walking desk. Actually, I was in Warsaw, Poland, and they have bike desks. It was epic. It was super cool. Sadly, my top LinkedIn post ever was a picture of that bike desk. But anyway, I'm doing something wrong there. So they had all sorts of different options. And then standing desks for meetings so that you could go and it was like a bar. You could really go and have meetings around small tables. They have all sorts of different setups depending on the work that you're doing. But what I would love for people to contemplate is like, what do I need to get done if it's a very deep task that requires deep focus, deep concentration, reflection, then being still? If you're talking, if you're in a meeting, if you're doing phone calls, doing emails, great for a standing desk, for example, and then move as you're trying to create, as you're trying to come up with new ideas. And this is just another, in the continuity of what we're talking about from sleep to food, to be able to move is the environment. Absolutely. It's like crafting the environment where success is inevitable, right? right? If you build an environment where excellence is inevitable, that's fantastic. At my house, for example, I call it my Menlo Park. So Thomas Edison in his factory had a little room that he created. I'm sure your audience has heard this a million times, but I'll tell this story again just because I think it's awesome and I'm speaking at the moment. They had a little room at the back where he was able to go and isolate himself and sleep and take, and there was a bed where he could nap and a table where he could iterate ideas, like he could isolate himself. So I've got an office at home that I've created. I've got my desk. If I look left, I can see the park, it's nature. 
right behind me, two amazing BNO speakers so I can control you know, the music that I'm listening to because music is incredibly powerful for the brain. I've got a beautiful piece of artwork that I got in Bahamas with all fractal patterns in it, which activate the brain. And you know, I go for a walk periodically throughout the course of the day and try to you know, sprinkle exercise into the day rather than worrying about getting in a workout, which I also like to do because I like training. But for brain performance, it's just sprinkle it in. Absolutely, like create a masterful workspace and awesome and things happen. And it just has joy also. I mean, it's great to have a brain-based, performance-based design, interior design of both your work and your home environment. Oh, absolutely. But also just having that joy. Yeah, it's fun. Like yeah. I walk in, I smile. And then similarly downstairs, we've created a very different environment, right? The kids come in, there's a place for them to chill, there's music, there's... The Lego sent, like we've really spent a lot of time crafting a home that enables us to live an amazing life for our kids to do things other than just to sit around and watch TV, which is fine from time to time. But, you know, they're learning, they're exploring, they're creating, they're iterating, they're like doing all of these awesome things. And it's 100% because of the environment they're in. We have kids in our street that come to our house to hang out even when my kids aren't there. Right. So, yeah, yeah we, we do a lot with Tony Shea over at Zappos. We were there when he transitioned his offices and he designed like where the bathrooms are. So people collide yeah. with individuals and ideas and had come up with, you know, more creativity also yeah. as well. And limiting their meeting times, which I also think was fantastic. Standing meetings, no desks. Right. So you actually can't sit. They did some incredible stuff at Zappos. And it's wonderful because we don't have to exercise our willpower to get us to do this. It's the environment that allows us because our external world is promoting, you know, this in- great internal world that we have. Absolutely. And what I'd love for people to think about is that you can deconstruct success. You can craft it. So what is the outcome that you want? What do you need to do? And then work backwards from that. Like, what does your workspace need to look like? What do your daily activities need to look like? What does your personal development need to look like? What skills do you need to acquire? What capacities do you need to develop? And just create that. Like, don't let other people dictate your outcomes. Don't let the world, the way that it's currently designed, influence your potential so they don't have to like wake up in the morning and just like oh i hope i feel motivated today you know i hope i'm focusing creative they can design it that way hope without habits is lost it's the difference between you know the thermostat and thermometer metaphor where a thermometer is just reacting to everything but a thermostat actually sets it you know and that's what when people wake up they could set that intention and design their life around it the fourth Fourth one is mindset and obviously mental performance, so thinking clearly. And if you do those first three things, if you've got a great night's sleep, if you're exercising, if you're moving, then obviously your brain comes to life and you're able to do whatever it is that you care about the most. If it's creating music, that's fantastic. If it's doing artwork, great. If it's drama, fantastic. If it's business, if it's learning, all of that comes to life if you've laid that foundation. And I've noticed sort of two huge trends in the world, the first one being people quitting drinking, which is really interesting. But the second one is meditation Mm. and training the ability to concentrate and to focus and to control your attention, which I think is one of the most fundamental skills that we need to have in this era of constant, unrelenting distraction. I'm not anti-tech. I think tech is the future. I'm not anti-social media. As the father of a little girl, I'm super fired up about the power of social media to do better, like the Me Too movement, for example. But I believe in intention, not compulsion. So if you're intentionally engaging, that's totally fine. If you're compulsively scrolling through your feet at three o'clock in the morning, that's a huge problem. So being able to control your attention, I believe, is incredibly important. Meditation being the primary tool to enable people to do that. Speaking of tools, like technology is a tool. It's a tool that we could use. But if that tool, if we're doing it out of the compulsion, out of habit, addiction, then the tool's using us, right? The technology's using us. Then who becomes a tool in that equation? You become the tool, you become the product. And And you become a consumer instead of a creator. Exactly. And the game is to be the creator. Like use these technologies to create, use these technologies to 
open up your capacity. Like I have this Ura ring on right now and not associated with them. So it's kind of interesting, but this tells me about my sleep. I'm using this technology to learn how to sleep better. I've got an Apple watch on. This is telling me about my movement patterns. I've turned off all the notifications, but this tells me about how much am I moving? Are my workouts optimized? I'm using this technology to get information so that I can act, but it's really important for us not to get caught up in being the actual product. You use these to create, use these to reach our potential. And I think the opportunity for that is only going to get better and better. Right. And with meditations, great mindfulness practice, because focus, it's an exercise, it's a muscle. And most people are training their distraction muscles. You and I have had this conversation about this myth of multitasking. People think right. they're doing three or four things at once. And then they're task switching. Yeah, they're task switching, which is incredibly exhausting physiologically. You're just activating one part of the brain, shutting it down, activating a different part of the brain. You have to shift blood flow. You have to shift fuel. Our brain uses oxygen and sugar to work. So you've got to move that around. And as we do more task switching, we become more fatigued. So I strongly believe in single tasking. One of the other really interesting things I learned recently around that is from Dr. Bryn Weingard. And she mentioned that whatever you are doing during the day is changing your brain. Your neurogenesis and rewiring of the brain is happening all day long, regardless of what you're doing. So if you do good things, if you focus, if you concentrate, if you learn, if you read, if you study, if you practice, then your brain is wiring yourself in a certain way. If you binge watch Netflix, your brain is wiring itself in a certain way. So whatever you are doing is changing your brain. So the more good habits, the more good rituals that you can create. We learned this weekend, I think the term is rituals, not necessarily routines, which I really like because it's more intentional. We can literally rewire the way our brains work at any time of our lives, regardless of our history, regardless of our past, regardless of the things that have happened to us, regardless of our current health status, you can always improve and change and grow. We always have that power and you transform your brain, you transform your life. Imagine what is possible if you read a biography every day for 20 minutes of all of the greatest people in history and what your life would look like in a year versus if you spent 20 minutes mindlessly scrolling through cat videos, which can be hilarious from time to time. But how would your life look in a year if you adopted that simple practice of learning from the masters for 20 minutes a day? You wouldn't recognize yourself. Because little things done consistently add up to big things. And what did John Maxwell say? Consistency compounds. We heard that yesterday from one of the leadership gurus. And the commonality with John Maxwell, and they prioritize learning and that transformation, and they don't expect just to consume it you know, knowledge is not power. It has the potential to be power until we apply it. And what I love about this conversation so much, Craig, is that there's a science to it. There's a science to sleep. There's a science to the food that we eat. There's a science to exercise and physiology. There's a science to thinking and neurogenesis, bless Izzy, but there's also an art. You know, when we're talking about that joy, there's a science to success, but there's an art to this happiness also as well, because you can mm -hmm. personalize it because not everything is for everybody but you can make it your own too. Yeah, totally. I love the intersection between art and science because you know, the art is the practice of how do you actually do it, but the science is the rationale behind you know, why does it work? What do you actually choose to do? And I read Leonardo da Vinci's biography by Walter Isaacson recently. And one of the things I took from that, and the only thing I got an A in my undergrad was art history, so I'm kind of into this stuff, was that he was an artist, but he was also an architect. He was also into physics. He was also into digging up bodies and dissecting them to learn anatomy. And it was the fact that he was a polymath. He was constantly learning. Like the Mona Lisa was in his bedroom unfinished. 
right? He was still working on it. And that's the game. Like, that's how you craft a masterful life. And it's the art and science and never giving up and constantly learning and never stop improving. I think that's the message for everyone watching today is make life your masterpiece. It all starts up here. How do people find out? How can they stay in touch with you? I highly recommend both your books. Right on. Thank you very much. The website is drgregwells.com and all my social media are at drgregwells. Perfect. What I would challenge everyone to do here, because nothing's going to happen if you just listen to this and nothing changes, I would encourage everybody to take a screenshot of this podcast episode, post it on social media. And the reason why is because when we share something, we learn it better. And I would encourage everyone in the description of your post to post your big aha. Out of these four things, what was the area that you're neglecting maybe the most? And what's one action you're going to take inspire other people to do the same. And as always, tag both of us there. I will share my very favorite and repost them as well. Right on. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Great to see everyone. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Growing up struggling with learning challenges from a childhood brain injury, it's been my life's mission to help you have your very best brain so you can win more every single day. Now, want more quick brain? Here are four ways to fast track your results and lock in what you just learned into your long-term memory. Remember fast, F-A-S-T. The F stands for Facebook. You're not alone on this journey. I invite you to join our free private online group. There you can connect with me, your fellow brain lovers, links to resources, and even submit your questions for me to answer in future episodes. Go to quickbrain.com. That's K-W-I-K brain.com. The A stands for apply. Act on what you learned today. Remember, knowledge is not power. It's potential power. It only becomes power when you use it. So use what you just learned. The S stands for subscribe. Don't miss the next episode and other free brain training. And finally, the T stands for teach. You want to learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. And of course, tag us so our team can properly thank you. Hashtag quick brain, K-W-I-K brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think. I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you want to go deeper with many of these authors that we have on our podcast, these experts, I want to invite you to join our Quick Success program. This is our monthly lives that I do, where I teach something brand new that we haven't taught before, answer your burning questions. And also we have something that people have been requesting for many years, a quick book club. This is your limitless book club where every single month we read a book together, uh, like a book provided by this author. And then we get the author to come online and join us for a one hour, share going deeper in these strategies, how to put them into practice, 
Uh, I share my five tips for how to memorize things out of these books. Many people want to read a book a month or build up to that. And this would be the program. So if you want to join, just go to quicksuccess.com and get your spot and join us live and get to meet these authors very uh, up close and personal. And uh, back to the episode.